Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, Happy Easter, everybody. What's going on? Good morning. Packed house. What's up, babe? Say hi, everybody. Good morning. I, I wouldn't be anywhere else but celebrating Christ's resurrection with you guys this morning. So happy to be here and so glad he makes all things new. Yeah, it's going to be a good day. We got a lot uh, planned. I believe God's doing some things in this house today. Uh, we had an amazing Good Friday service and just you could feel the power of the saints together and, and gathering together. And today is Resurrection Sunday. Can we just give it up for the name of Jesus one more time? And I heard, um, uh, I heard we're feeding cotton candy to all your kids in the kids' <laughs> ministry. And so you have um, us to thank for that. It wasn't our idea, but we wanted to make sure you guys uh, had sugared up kids on the way out of church today. And so, like they uh, didn't have enough already. Yeah, we didn't have right? enough little Easter egg hunts. Come on, would y'all give it up for my wife one more time? She's going to love you guys. She holds this thing together. Love you, babe. She holds our home together. She holds me together. Uh, it's good to have a woman of God in your life. Come on, man. If you're looking for uh, someone, you need a woman of God. And uh, if you're single and ready to mingle, put your hand in the air right now. Come on, anybody. Look around. Look at all the different hands. This is the place to find uh, somebody. Not in that club. Come on, somebody. You ain't going to find them there. You ain't going to find them at Needland Stadium at halftime. Uh, you're going to find them in church. Uh, I'm going I'm to be on the simple message of the gospel today. It's Resurrection Sunday. Uh, there's no name given among, uh, among earth, under heaven, among men, which we must be saved by, which, except the name of Jesus. The Bible says that he's been given a name that's exalted above every name. And uh, there's a lot of power in that name, a lot of power in what he did. And the Bible actually says that th- everything in three worlds will have to bow to him. Everything in heaven will bow, everything on earth will bow, and everything under the earth will bow at the name of Jesus. And so um, I, I believe his name is going to do uh, some miraculous things in your life today. We had about four people give their life to Christ's first service. That's an awesome, just eternity being changed. I believe your family is going to be changed today. I believe that um, some of your generations to come can be changed through the word of God. Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to give you uh, some thoughts from that chapter. Many, many scholars believe it's the most important passage of scripture we have in the entire Bible. Uh, it's Paul's longest uh, portion of scripture in any epistle, um, kind of letting us know how important it is. And Paul's dealing with mankind's greatest enemies, dealing with death. Um, Jesus conquered death. We know that that's what today's about. Uh, but we still fight the enemy of death. Many of us have experienced different things in our life. Um, and, and we know that the last enemy is death, that eventually when Christ returns, he will conquer uh, the last enemy. And Paul is dealing with death. And then he's also dealing with the centrality of Christianity, the resurrection. All of uh, Christianity, all of our faith hinges on that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, the background, uh, this story or this uh, portion of scripture is about 25 years removed from the crucifixion. So many of the people Paul's speaking to have been given handed down stories of the gospel. It's, it's removed from them and, um, and they're having trouble believing at this point. Some of them are doubting that Christ really rose from the dead. Some of them are wondering if, 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 uh, if it was true, because many of them believed that Jesus was, was going to return right away and come right back, and he didn't right away. And so they began to live any way they wanted. 
They began to just, you know, kind of doubt that it was real. Paul had to address it at one point. He said, listen, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we might as well eat, drink, and be merry. We might as well just have orgies, is what he's saying. He says, we might as well just, we might, because, and he says, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we're, of all people, the most miserable. <laughs> That's crazy to think that, that as Christians, some of you, you know Jesus is raised from the dead, and you're the most miserable. <laughs> and you shouldn't be, because he rose from the dead. And so Paul's addressing uh, these guys, and this is what it says in the message translation. It says, friends, let me, get, let me go over the message with you one final time. The message that I proclaimed and that you made your own. This message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was not, that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy. I'm assuming that for us in this room today. And I pray that if it, maybe it wasn't the real thing yet, today could be the day. That you're in this for good and you're holding fast. I think some of us just need to make a decision today that we're in it for good. We're in it no matter what. I'm in this thing. I, I know as a pastor, even there's, there's been years, there's been months, there's been days that I've been like, I don't know. Is this, but, but we're in it for good. We make a decision that we're in it and we hold fast. And then Paul says, the first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me that the Messiah died for our sins. This is where Paul just goes right back to the heart of all of it. Very simple message that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as scripture tells it, that he was buried. We can't just jump over these words. These are very costly words that he was buried, that, that he was raised from the dead on the third day. Again, exactly as the scripture says that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time. There was a lot of eyewitness proof of Christ. Most of them still around, although a few have since died that then he spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him and that he finally presented himself alive to me. Many believe, and scripturally it's true, that Paul hung out with Jesus in the desert, getting the gospel right from Jesus as an apostle. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in the inner circle. Come on, anybody ever feel that way when it comes to walking with God? I don't deserve to be included in the inner circle. As you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. What he's saying is I killed a lot of Christians. I killed a lot of people that wanted to know Christ. I, I just, Paul went from a missionary, from a murderer to a missionary in three days. Come on, anything can change for you in three days. Three days in the tomb, three days with Jesus in the ground, anything can change. It, it, your story can change in three days. He went from a murderer to a missionary. He says, I was chosen out of existence, out of time. Then he says this, verse 10 and 11. But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here am I. And, not, and I am not about to let this grace go to waste. And I'm not about to let this grace go to waste. My title for today is Grace Gone to Waste. Grace Gone to Waste. Let me pray real quick. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your, the cost you paid. Thank you for the resurrection today. Thank you, God, that there's so much power in this room. There's so much power in your grace. Lord, we combine our faith together today. You said when we're assembled together that you are walking amongst us and you're moving in us. That, Lord, you, you, are, you are taking up residence in here. So we ask you to have your way. Jesus, we believe you're here and anything can happen today. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace gone to waste. I don't want to waste the grace that God's given me. I, 
I have half my life left to live. And uh, I, I believe, and I don't want to waste that grace. I, I want to use all the power that he's afforded me in the power of his resurrection. So I don't want it to go to waste. In my house, um, my wife, she is the waste police. My wife, uh, she is the one that makes sure nothing is wasted in the house. The lights are turned out at the right time. We call her checks and balances. Come on, somebody, y'all, should be, y'all, y'all should be so thankful. This church exists that I, because of my wife. Y'all, y'all don't even know how, how grateful you need to be to my wife <laughs> because I would be off the rails somewhere, you know, and, and be act doing crazy stuff and think, you know, just if it wasn't for an amazing woman of God, I have some dumb ideas sometimes. She's like, I don't think that's going to work, honey. <laughs> you know, come on. And, uh, and she is the way waste uh, police. I, I go to brush my teeth sometimes and I turn the water on. Come on. Who, who, who are my full blast water people when you go to, when you go to brush your teeth? Yes. I see one head going, it shouldn't be your waste police. I see that. Uh, I keep it running. I keep it running. I turn it on full blast. My wife's like, Hey, 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 hey. she's stealth. She's a water whisperer. She can walk in the room. She, she can hear it from other rooms in the house. She's like, it's full blast. She sneaks up behind me. She just, and just turns it. She's like, just turn that down. Just half. I'm like, I can't brush my teeth with a drizzle. Like I can't. She's like, you're wasting water. I'm like, baby, it's an endless tap. It's endless. I can't waste it. It's endless. She's like, we're going to save money. I was like, I don't think we're going to hit retirement by the two cents that I save every time that I turn the water down. My kids are driving now, two of my boys. My daughter's not driving yet, but she's getting her uh, license in a few months, I guess. And, um, and uh, in a few weeks, she just said, and um, <laughs> I wasn't talking about your birthday. I'm talking about when you get the license. <laughs> and, uh, but my boys, when they began to drive, we had another problem in the family that they began to waste food because they didn't want to eat what we cook. They didn't want to eat. Well, I shouldn't say we, I cook on the grill. My wife makes a lot of great meals. They didn't want to cook. They didn't want to eat the meals that she made. And so there was always this dilemma they have their driver's license. Now they'd be like, I'm going to Wendy's. I'm going to Burger King. I'm going to, I'm going wherever I'm going. I'm going to get this. I'm going to go eat that. I'm craving Chick-fil-A. I want this and that. And so she would be like all the time. I made dinner. I made food. I don't, Hey, you're going to waste the food. And so they would only eat it maybe one time. I like leftovers. Where my leftover people at? I'll eat them cold. I don't care. Eat them right out of the fridge. And I'll just, and so, and so I like that. They wouldn't eat the leftovers. So she would be upset a lot of times. And she would say, Hey, they're wasting the food. And I'm like, well, babe, I'll eat it. It's not going to go to waste. I'll eat it. She's like, yeah, but they're wasting their money going and buying things. I said, I know, but who cares? It's their money. And and she's like, no, no, no. It's not a, it's not about the money, babe. It's about the time and the heart and the preparation. Like everything that I put into the meal, it's not just the dollars. It's that they're wasting the joy and the excitement and the love and the preparation and the premeditated thought that it took me to go put all the groceries together. I want a family feel. I want to surround a meal together. There, there's, I, just, I, don't, I just feel like that's being wasted. They're like, I want Burger King. Have it your way. <laughs> I went to Chick-fil-A. The other night we had uh, rice and beans and cornbread uh, and uh, we'd been eating on it for a few days. And one of my sons, I said, hey, uh, we got rice and beans and cornbread. He's like, I'm not eating that. And I was like, what? what I mean, he's like, we, ha- we already had it. I was like, babe, I was like, dude, come on, man, it's good. He's like, I'm not a prisoner. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> he said, I'm not a prisoner. He, 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 he said, I'm not, this ain't the Great Depression. I don't want rice and beans. I was like, it might be soon. I don't know. Give used to rice and beans. Like, they're good. 
I don't want it. What he's saying is the cost that it took her to prepare all of that is so distant of a reality to me that I don't understand the value of what I have. The cost, what it took to not just cook it, but to put a heart and thought into it, that the sacrifice of her effort is a distant reality. And so it's far removed from my thought process. I'll just go with what's convenient. I'll just go, well, I know it's not healthy, but I'll just have that. I know I'll just make my own choice. I'll just have it my way. And if we're going to be honest, we all have a tendency to waste stuff, not because we don't care, Because the cost of it is a distant reality to us at times. The water coming out of the faucet, if I had to dig the well, I promise I probably wouldn't have wasted one drop. Many times we waste something when we don't know the cost that it took to produce it. And Paul is speaking to some people that are wasting grace. Because it's been 25 years and they've forgot the cost of crucifixion. It's just been handed down stories. And now Paul's beginning to realize that they're entertaining that Jesus never rose from the dead. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This should affect your reality. And he's seeing that it's not affecting their day-to-day living. That they're living however they want. And Paul's going, wait, guys, I need to give you this. I'm going to tell you the simple gospel. He doesn't give them a bunch of rules. He doesn't give them religion. He doesn't give them some big theological dissertation in college class. He gives them the simplicity of Jesus died for our sins, was buried in the ground, and was risen by God from the grave. He gives us us the simplicity of the gospel of a man named Jesus so that we wouldn't waste grace. So often we find ourselves, God's got this thing he prepared called the cross, and we say, I'd rather go my own convenient way. I'd rather have Burger King Christianity. I'd rather have it my way. Really, when you say you'd rather have it your way, you're just saying that you don't understand the cost of what he paid to give you the worth and value of the grace that he's given to you. Grace is, grace is power. And so, so Paul begins to remind these guys and he digs right in. He goes, listen, don't forget that you made your stand on this gospel, that you really received the good news of Jesus. This wasn't a passing fancy that you took. No one talked you into it. No, no one told you you had to believe this. No one, no one manipulated you. You took a stand on this. It's the good news of Jesus and you're holding fast to it and don't depart from it. What Paul begins to say, he's talking to these guys, but he's talking to a lot of us when we begin to waste grace. And I'm going to give you just three simple thoughts today. And then I want to pray for you. I want to help us not to waste grace. The first thought just comes from the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, the first thing is this, the cross is a removal of sin, not a reminder of sin. So, so often we allow the cross that we see hanging as ornamental jewelry or whatever it might be or on a tree or in a decorum in a, in a church somewhere or on a building as a reminder of sin. And it reminds us of maybe guilt or shame or my mess ups or all this. And the Bible says Christ died for your sin, that Christ paid the price in full for all of your sin, past, present and future. And when you don't understand that cost, you don't really realize the power of what you've been afforded. Here's here's the cost of the cross. The Roman government executed him by one of the most cruel and excruciating forms of capital punishment ever devised, crucifixion. Although the Romans did not invent crucifixion, they perfected it as a form of torture and capital punishment that was designed to produce a slow, maximum pain and suffering death. The victim's back was torn open by scourging and the the clothing that was ripped off of their back clotted and then was ripped open again. 
When he was thrown on the ground and nails were put into his hands, he hung on a crossbeam. The wounds were then again torn open as he was thrown into the dirt. Then as he hung on the cross with each breath, the painful wounds on his back scraped against the rough wood of the upright beam and they were further aggravated. When the nail was driven through his wrist, it severed the large median nerve. This stimulated nerve produced excruciating bolts of fiery pain in both arms and resulted in claw-like grips in the victim's hands. Beyond the excruciating pain, the major effect of crucifixion was inhibiting normal breathing. The weight of the body pulling down on the arms and shoulders tended to fix the respiratory muscles in an inhalation state, and it hindered exhalation. The lack of adequate respiration resulted in severe muscle cramps, which hindered breathing even further. To get a good breath, one had to push up against the feet and flex the elbows, pulling from the shoulders. Putting the weight of the body on the feet produced searing pain, and flexing the elbows twisted the hands that were hanging on the nails. Lifting the body for a breath also painfully scraped the back against the wood. Each effort to get a proper breath was agonizing, exhausting, and led to sooner death. Not uncommonly, insects would light upon or burrow into the wounds and the eyes and the ears and the nose of the dying, helpless victim, and birds of prey would begin to tear at these sites. Moreover, it was customary to leave the corpse on the cross till it was devoured by predatory animals. Death from crucifixion could come from many sources, acute shock from blood loss, being too exhausted to breathe any longer, dehydration, stress-induced heart attack, or congestive heart failure leading to cardiac rupture. If the victim did not die quickly enough, the legs were broken and the victim was soon unable to breathe. We get our English word excruciating from the Roman word out of the cross. Excruciating. We can't forget the cost of the cross. We can't think it a distant reality to you and I. We can't forget it or then we begin to make choices and decide that, you know what, it maybe didn't give me the power, that it didn't afford me what it really afforded me. Maybe I don't have the value and the understanding and the worth of what God actually paid for. The cross removes my sin. It removes it. Some of you are faced with shame and guilt and put your head down low all the time. The cross handled the shame, the guilt, the, the failures. It handled all of it ever until the ages, all of all ages, it handled all of it. Jesus sent the God man. God sent the God man, Jesus, his son, to die for sin. Paul said he died for your sin. Well, let me, let me say, what does that mean to my reality? It means this. I don't have to keep sinning. Wow. He, he died to pay for all of it, which means the reality of that resurrection and that death means that you don't have to keep making the same choices that you keep making, that you don't have to keep making the same decisions, that you don't have to be stuck in the same addiction, that he died for that, that he, he didn't just make you remember it. Many of you just keep remembering it and reminding yourself of it. He actually removed it from your life. It's not an external thing. He did something on the inside of you. He removed your sin. Well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way I was born. Well, can I say that we were all born certain ways, this way or that way, but you're not born again that way. You, you, don't, you don't come into the kingdom with that same situation. When you come into the kingdom, you're born again into his nature and his image with his power and his effective working that you can say no to flesh, no to sin, no to the stuff that he actually paid for. You can say no. Well, I don't believe in sin. Well, if I come punch you in the face right now, you're going to believe in it. You're not, you're not going to say, well, that was a bad personal choice on that pastor's part. 
You say, dang, that's a sinner. <laughs> we had a debt that had to be paid. Well, I don't believe in a debt. Well, that's like going to a restaurant eating and, and saying, I don't believe in the bill. We have a whole culture that doesn't believe in the bill. There's a bill, there's a debt to be paid. And the good news is Jesus paid the debt. He paid for all of it. I don't have to, I don't have to live below what he paid for. My favorite food's buffet. <laughs> By the way, I began to eat meat again. Come on, somebody. I, I'm, yes, I feel better. I'm going to preach for about four hours today. I feel strong. There's a restaurant in Texas I used to go to called Fogo de Chow. It was a Brazilian steakhouse. One price. Oh, that's why I love buffets. One price, all you can eat. Come on, one price, everything. This is Fogo de Chow. It's probably like 75 bucks a plate now. When I went there years ago, it was probably 55, 60 bucks a plate. Still not cheap, but you could eat all the prime rib and all the duck and all the sirloin and all the chicken breasts and everything, lamb, anything you wanted. And they had this big giant salad bar with cheese and breads and everything and then soup and all this. I went with a dude one time and I was like, come on, it's all paid for. I got this. It's on us. And he was like, he was like, man, I'm just going to have a salad. I'm like, you don't have a salad. I was like, man, it's all paid for it. I've paid for everything. I began to get offended. I'm like, he's like, no, I just, I'm not that hungry. I was like, I, I don't care. I was like, I don't care. He's like, you're going to eat a filet. You're going to sit here and nibble on lettuce and I paid for this thing. You're going to sip on soup. I'm going to smack you. You're going to say, I'm a sinner. Jesus paid for some sins, but my favorite food is buffet. You're going to eat. And, 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 and I was a little bit offended. Here, here's the thing. Your sins have been paid in full. It's all been paid for. One price, that's the gospel. One price, all you can. It's been paid in full. Jesus paid the full price. And you're going to sip on soup and live below your calling when he's got forgiveness and power and grace and the cost of the cross gave you everything you need. And grace is power. We love the pardon side, but there's a power side. Yeah, pardon me, God. Pardon me. Forgive me. Yes, but there's a power side. I used to drive my kids to school. I said, grace is power. Grace is power to make a different choice. Grace is power not to fall in sin. Grace is power to live different. Grace is power to stand up in a culture. Grace is power. It's the great exchange. Jesus didn't die for you. He died as you. He died as you. So that the reality of his death could remove those, those things and those hangups and those lifestyles that you keep dipping back into. Don't offend him by not partaking of the full price of what he paid for. It's called the great exchange. He became you so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ. And I want all that he paid for. You can experience an impartation of freedom, of grace, a connection with God, a relationship with no distance, no separation. You've got a great salvation, great forgiveness, great hope, great future, great calling, great life. You've got greatness on the inside of you. Let me just say this. Somebody needs to hear this. The resurrection or the crucifixion and Jesus dying for your sins is giving you permission to quit hiding behind average. Quit hiding behind the pain and the, the hurt and the failure. Jesus rose from the dead so you could quit hiding behind the same excuses and the same things over and over. I know you're like, man, this is Easter. It is Easter. And he's risen from the dead to make you alive in God. Alive. Some of you are so depressed all the time and so down and so complaining and so grumbling. And, and the scriptures say, complain about nothing, grumble about nothing, that every word will be. I mean, there's so much things in the word of God that you've got power on the inside of you to actually live out. But we are removed from the cost 
So the value and the worth of what we've been afforded sometimes goes to waste. Jesus died for my sin and died for your sin. Christ died according to the scriptures. I love this. Paul says it two times in three verses. According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. What he was saying is this thing was premeditated. That, that it wasn't an afterthought, that God dying, Jesus dying, it wasn't an afterthought, all the way down to his purple garment, all the way down to the, to the Romans gambling for his garment, all the way down to, to the scourging on his back and the, and the unrecognizable nature of him, the, of the disgust and, and the shame and the, and the stuff put on him and, and, and the embarrassment, all the way down to, 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 to his bones not being broken, talked about in the Old Testament, all the way to where the Roman guards came up to his legs and they saw he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs like normal because not one bone in his body was to be broken. That God planned this thing down to the last bone in Jesus' body. You don't think he has your life planned out, prepared for, premeditated to the last bone in your body? The last situation in your life? You're not an afterthought. You're not an afterthought this morning to God. Come on, guys. You ever had your wife say to you, do you know what today is? Oh, oh, you've already failed. Every, every prayer in your, in your mind is like, please, God, don't let it be an anniversary or a birthday. And she'd be like, it's the day that we held hands first. <laughs> oh, yeah, August the 18th. Yeah, I knew that. My wife, when she responds to me the best is when I premeditate and plan a date and when I buy something she likes and surprise her and write a note and a poem and go out and have the meal planned. And she's like, you did that and you spent that and you did that and you prepared for that and you, you did that. And, and she begins, what she's saying is, as she responds to me, she's saying is, I wasn't an afterthought that you prepared this for me. And I just, I'm just here to tell you that God prepared and planned and meditated and premeditated your life. Your story's been written. He knew it before it ever started. He wrote it. And I, I just want to encourage you that you're not an afterthought to God. God is saying with the crucifixion that he'll go to the extents of that to tell you that he loves you and to track you down. He died for your sins. He was buried. He was buried. Number two, this is a hard part for us a lot of times. Burial always precedes blessing. Crucifixion always precedes resurrection. Paul's the only one that mentions it this many times. We think, we just read over it. He was buried. He was buried. No, there's a lot of gravity in the fact that he was buried. Paul's saying that he, is, he was buried. He's reiterating that he was dead. The reality is Jesus was really dead. Some people said he wasn't really dead. Paul said he was buried. They checked him on the cross to see if he was dead. He was dead. Then they took him down and they buried him. You don't bury alive things. You buried dead things. They buried him. Jesus was buried. Paul goes on in chapter 15, this whole chapter dealing with crucifixion and resurrection and, 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 and the last enemy. And he begins to tell us a story about a seed. He begins to use an analogy when it comes to being buried in the, this gospel thing that we call uh, salvation. He begins to talk about an analogy and, a, and an illustration of a seed that even though a seed is dead, it goes into the ground and it's buried. And once it's buried, it begins to have something happen to it that's supernatural. And God begins to do a miracle under the soil. And as that happens, it begins to change. And it actually comes up different and comes out of the ground alive. 
that the things that were buried, that Jesus was buried, the things that have been buried in your life go under the ground. They get covered up and God does something and now vibrance and color and life and a different nature come out of the ground. That's, that's, that's being buried in the gospel. Some of you had a hard time believing God for some things that have been buried in your life. The pattern of the gospel is that you've got to bury something and then grace, grace will actually allow you to believe beyond burial for blessing. And some of you feel like, man, this marriage is buried or this child of mine has been buried or this situation's buried or my hopes and dreams have been buried. I, 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 I've never planted any seed successfully and had it grow. I cannot grow anything. Come on, somebody. I, I, I can't plant things. Now I've planted trees. I've planted bushes. I've planted things in tree form and they've grown. That's easy for me. I can see it. I can touch it. I can see it that it needs some water. I can see that. It doesn't take faith. Seed form takes a lot different faith. Seed form takes a lot different trust because you can't see it. It's under the ground. It's buried under the dirt. It's buried and it's dead. And I, I just, I, I can't see it. Come on. When I was raising my kids, when they were little, remember they put the little seed in the cup and all the time, like, is it, is it alive yet? Is it growing? Is it growing? Is it growing? Is it growing? And then they go pour water on it and it's like drowning and water's pouring out all over the kitchen sink. And, and then it, I'm like, it takes, it takes some time. And they're digging up the little seed and digging in and shaking the cup and there's dirt everywhere. Come on. Any parents in here that had the, the little seed? What's happening? There's a lack of patience. There's a lack of trust. There's a lack of waiting. There's a lack. So often we, God wants us to bury something and we, we keep trying to bring it to pass and pour water over it. And we're trying to, is it done? Is it ready? Is it good? And we're digging that thing up. Many of you keep digging around the thing God wants to resurrect, but you just need to leave it buried. And it's hard. I get it. It's hard to leave things in the ground. It's hard to, to leave them buried. But I'm just telling you, if you'll trust God, if you'll trust that Jesus was buried and then rose from the dead, you can bury some of the things you're worried about and frustrated over. You can trust them into God's hands. We have water baptism next week. And the, the, the Jewish people, the Old Testament church, God's children, they came out of Egypt and they buried themselves into the ocean. The faith it took to bury themselves into water Knowing that death was imminent without God's presence is called burial. The Bible says they buried themselves in baptism in water in 1 Corinthians 10. They buried themselves. They went in in one form and came out a different form. They went in as slaves. They came out as sons and daughters. They, they went in in fear on the run, came out standing tall. They, they went in in worry and came out as God's kids champions into a new, a new direction and a new king and a new commandment. They, they went in one way, came out in a different way. That's burial. And if you'll trust God to put yourself into a situation, what happened to them could happen to you. The enemies of their life were drowned. All the Egyptians were drowned. All of God's enemies were drowned. There's certain things in your life that God can drown if you'll let him do the work in burial. You got to leave it buried sometimes. And I, I know that that's, it's easy to say, but can I just encourage you something? You know, you know what it is you've been digging up early. You know what it is you've been trying to pour water on and get to come alive. And I just want you to have enough trust today that you can bury yourself in Christ and believe that God is actually going to bless it and bring it back to life. And that brings me to the last thought that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. I, I would ask you, stop trying to revive what God wants to resurrect. Some of you are doing CPR on your kids, doing CPR on that relationship. Some of y'all got Frankenstein Christianity. You're putting, trying to put all your electricity into that relationship. You know it shouldn't be alive. Sometimes we try to keep things alive that 
aren't God. And that, that God literally can resurrect things and he doesn't need your help to bring the plans and the purpose of your life to pass. If God can get Jesus out of the grave and go into the grave and declare that he is master over death and he's removed the sting of hell, he can set you free. That you don't, listen, when you revive something, that, it comes back the same way. When you resurrect something, it comes back with a new nature. When it comes, it comes back with God's power on the inside. It doesn't just come back with rules and, and will. This is not willpower. This is not self-effort. This is not, I will never. Come on, how many I will nevers is, whoops, I did. Every I will never turns into a whoops, I did. It's because it's my strength and my effort. I need resurrection power. I need the resurrection of Jesus on the inside of me to make a change from the inside out, not me having this effort where I can just... Some of y'all are blue in the face trying to revive situations in your life. What does it look like? Worry? Revenge? I'll show them. Prove it. You know those things shouldn't be alive. And God's saying, would you just trust me to bring the things you need to come to life alive? He can resurrect it, man. I don't want to put things together in my own strength. Today is about resurrection. It's about that the simplicity of Jesus was died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead. I want to pray with you today. We're going to go back in a minute into a moment of worship. We got a few minutes in here and I think Easter is tradition for some people, but for me and for us, it's that God got up out of the grave with all power in his hands. And if God can do that, he can do anything. But Satan's been perpetuating a lie on all of us. And he started it right after Jesus rose from the dead. And this is what it sounds like. He had people tell this lie that Jesus isn't risen. The body's been stolen. That's what the lie that Satan began to perpetuate. The body's been stolen. Here's what it sounds like to your ears in this day and age. There's no life beyond burial. There's no light beyond the darkness. There's no life beyond that divorce. There's no life beyond that felony. There's no life beyond that addiction. There's no life beyond that failure. There's no light beyond that. And the devil just begins to put doubt and dismay and darkness on top of us and perpetuate the lie. There's no hope. There's no light. There's no life. I know the resurrection. Yeah, I hear that. I'm at Easter, but you don't know my situation. It's been buried for so long. I've lost hope. I've lost even wanting to put my faith out there because I don't want to be disappointed again. And I just, I just don't even know. And the enemy just putting darkness and darkness and darkness. I've studied darkness, light deprivation. The, when you face light deprivation, what happens is this. Literally, you begin to go into a depressed mood. The Bible says, not the Bible, science says, uh, science says that literally parts of your brain that produce the dopamines and the, and the endorphins and everything that make you kind of upbeat and happy and hopeful, those parts of the brain begin to die in darkness. There's something called SAD. Of course, it's called SAD. It stands for Seasonal Affective Disorder. And in parts of the country where it's dark all the time or in seasons when it's dark and the light isn't out as much, many people are affected with SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. And it makes them moody. It makes them anxious. It makes them fearful. Stuff they used to enjoy, they don't enjoy anymore. They have less energy, less trust. All these sicknesses and body ailments and stuff just because they have this SAD, this Seasonal Affective Disorder because of the darkness the enemies put on their life. 
And the enemy of my soul and your soul is constantly trying to envelop us with darkness, whether it's our own mistakes or our own the accusations or people, whatever it might be, those dark things begin to come on us. And the devil says, there's no light beyond burial. And for some of you today, the empty tomb is just another empty promise because Satan has darkness hitting at your life. Sometimes he accuses us. Sometimes it's our own mistakes, our pride, our strength, our self-effort, our ability to do what we need to do. And the enemy just begins to crowd our life in with darkness. He begins to tell us that there's no life beyond darkness, that there's no life beyond burial. But the reality of today is that resurrection is that Jesus is light. Come on, somebody. Jesus is every bit of light that you need, that Jesus came into the earth and that all the light that came onto this planet, the Bible says that darkness cannot comprehend it. Would you stand to your feet with me? I believe that resurrection is a moment of light in the earth, that resurrection is light for you today. Here's what resurrection is. Resurrection is God going into the grave and God telling you and I that if I can get Jesus out of the grave, I can get you out of anything. It's, it's God flexing on the devil flexing on your situation, flexing on anything you're facing. If God can get Jesus out, come on, he can get you out of that bottle. He can get you out of that bed. He can get you out of that relationship. He can get you out of lust. He can get you out of darkness. He can get you out of sin. If he can get you out, come on, if God can get Jesus out, he can get me out. Come on, you need to say, I'm getting up and out today. I'm getting up and out today. And I don't know what kind of darkness is hitting your life today. We're not here just for tradition. We have some time left in this room. I mean, I believe that God wants to dispel and destroy some darkness in your life today. That the light of Jesus is here. Some of you need light. You know it. The enemy's been perpetuating darkness and no hope. Our ministry team's up here. They'd love to pray with you. We're going to go back into a song and we're going to worship God. And I'm just declaring that light is coming into your situation right now. Come on, would you believe with me? If Jesus can get up, I can get up. If he can get out, I can get out. Come on, I'm getting out today. Let's worship God. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.